Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 27 of the Crosshouse Podcast. I'm Flex, I'm with Commodore, and I think we actually have our first repeat guest, if I'm not mistaken. Clive, how you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. Looking forward to this. I think you're totally right. That's the first first repeat guest. Which is great news, because the reason why we wanted to bring Clive back on is like we if you guys who listened to the the first cast first podcast with, with Clive on it was him and in Murray and we were kind of going over the international exploration and all the things great things that they've done and how they're so autonomous and kind of like defining these self-organizing teams which is fantastic but there's updates right we want to we want to bring him back on go over with some of those more celebrations and really kind of touch on some of the high level things that they've been working on and, and some of the, the good news. So it's going to be a little bit diving in DAOs and, and how to kind of structure them and, and all the awesome things that these self-autonomous teams can do. And a little bit about what Clive and his team have been working so diligently on. Yeah, I love the framing. And I just think like the part that I want to highlight for the audience is you know, this idea of using DAOs to highlight problem spaces and opportunities, letting super talented people like Clive and, and team like come up with an idea that they want to go after, self-assemble, coordinate, meet, you know, put together this body of work for us to then as a DAO make decisions on. And I just think that like I just really, really want to celebrate them and that process because it's one of our first you know, cleanest examples that I think is abstracted, right? Like I think, you know, not to diminish any other teams within Krausehaus, but what they've been working on was so specific to our mission of this idea of interjecting kind of basketball and these kind of ownership opportunities by the DAO that I just think it's a really cool intersection. You know, clearly we've had teams really around governance and, and media and things like that were a little bit more standard. And so I love that this is a little bit less standard and unique in going after this. So I just want to congratulate Clive and the team for, you know, executing this awesome project. And I'm really excited to dive into it and and see where it takes us. So thank you, Clive, and, and kudos to you and the team. Hey, thank you, Commodore. Thank you, Flex. Last time we were on, I said that I would come back and give the DAO, the community, both of you an update on what we learned going around the world, looking at, you know, what ended up being 10 different leagues, interviewing executives, interviewing coaches, interviewing former players, interviewing agents that are operating in these countries and interacting with these players, and in interviewing some of the best commissioners for some of the best leagues in the world as well. So, you know, I'm back and I'm looking forward to the conversation. I want to shout out, you know, all the members of the International Committee you know, we went on this exploration together. I won't dox anyone, but Murray, Edgybra, Ebersa, Gio, I like to call him Gio Venise out there in France. And we're going to talk a lot about France today. And uh, Gregor, Javado, Murray already mentioned, you know, we went out there. This is a big committee now. This is 10 people. These guys are pros. Thank you guys. Love it. And so what did you guys land on in terms of do you guys land on a specific league, a specific region, a certain tier? Like kind of give us the kind of high level category to think about the suggestion. Yeah. So I'm not going to go too deep in the nuts and bolts, but I want to step back a bit. We set up a process, right? And inside of that process were two things. The way we collected and shared information We had a weekly meeting. I mean, people are in six different time zones. One of our members moved from the UK to Turkey during phase one. 
right? And we didn't miss a beat. We met at a time that worked for, I guess, every time zone in the world, you know, and it, and it happened. The other thing we did is we set up a criteria system. We looked at these leagues and teams across 15 criterias, you know, marketing and global brand reach was one of them. But the one that really, you know, defined the exploration was crypto readiness and different levels of crypto readiness, right? The ability to interact with a DAO, understanding what DAO-based decision-making would mean for a influx of capital and what it would mean operationally. So when I think about where we landed, we landed in two places. We landed with opportunities to work with, you know, some of the best leagues in the world to continue our exploration on, you know, what would be the right situation for Kraushaus to own a position, whether minority or majority, or, you know, what would be the best DAO situation, you know, where our style of operating would be accepted most immediately. And we've got opportunities for both. And I want to talk about both, but I'll pause there. That's awesome. Yeah. And do you feel like like high level that a lot of leagues or a few leagues were DAO ready? I thought it was a minority, right? So we ended up having a small amount of conversations where the idea of, you know, token based fan ownership was already on the table. For the most part, we were introducing this to these executives around the world who are essentially recovering from the pandemic, you know, looking to put their leagues back in a solid financial standing and open to hearing about new economic models. But this fan owned, you know, tokenized ownership model that a DAO represents, it was new to most of the leagues. There was one place in particular that we got what I would call like, we got into a peer to peer conversation and it was in France, the LMBA the city of Pau, we looked at a team there and they understood tokenization and they understood our model. That's awesome. So I want to um, touch a little bit on, on the report as well. What you said around kind of the brand recognition, a lot of leagues overseas, maybe in a few teams have insolvency problems. So you look for like the strength of the league and I feel like there's some intuitive due diligence that you could do. I love that you mentioned crypto readiness. Was there any other thing that you that you found during your research process that kind of, I don't wanna say curveball, but was, was something that you weren't expecting that really stood out to you uh, while you were doing your R&D? Yeah, you know, so there were there were three buckets, right? Like when you look at those 15 criteria, I mentioned two, right? One was like brand readiness. The other one was crypto readiness. And then the third was just, you know, the quality of the basketball, the types of players and the quality of the competition that these teams were in globally. And, you know, comparing that to the NBA, were they matriculating players to the NBA, young players? Or were these the type of leagues where you went after you had a successful NBA career? I don't want to say surprising, but it's interesting how quality of play is not, you know, truly um, correlated with with this whole global brand recognition thing, right? So I, I don't want to call it any specific leagues, but we talk to leagues that have, you know, that are getting really great, you know, global coverage. But we talked to other leagues where, you know, they're not getting the same level of global brand coverage, but they're producing really great young players, right? If you think about places like, you know, Italy and France and Spain and 
even in the UK, you know, these places are producing now NBA quality players, but their leagues aren't as recognized. That's super interesting. So fast forward, you kind of, I think you kind of alluded to this in one of your previous answers of, of the leagues and maybe specifically teams, which were some of the most interesting opportunities that you, that you guys come up? I, I believe you, I heard you say uh, a team in France, Pau, if I'm not mistaken, but what was kind of the conclusion? What's the fun stuff? Any targets you guys have? Yeah, you know, Flex, Commodore, you know, the place that we kept on coming back to as a committee was Canada. The time zone alignment was really good. When we were doing our phase one, the NBA was mid-season going through, you know, it was the pandemic season, right? And like a, a lot of games were lost due to the pandemic protocols. And what we started to see was in one of the leagues we were looking at, the CEBL, the Canadian Elite Basketball League, quite a few of their former players were getting called up to NBA rosters and playing big minutes, right? So Xavier Moon got called up to the LA Clippers and he was playing crunch time for a period of the season as they were going through their wave of uh, player loss games, right? So Canada, you know, shout out to the teams up there in Canada, uh, the CEBL, especially we looked at two leagues in Canada, the National Basketball League of Canada and the CEBL. Xavier happened to have played in both. And then when we went overseas, we looked at the BBL and pretty strong situation building there. I call it building, right? Because they've just had an influx of capital and I think one of the loudest signals we heard on this exploration is when you're looking to buy a team overseas, you're going to be interacting with private equity, right? And there's a private equity situation in the UK with the British Basketball League that we're still exploring. And then there was France and PAL, private equity situation and, you know, some crypto readiness that really caught us off guard. I, I want to go obviously into that specific opportunity, but the Canadian thing, the time zone thing really does resonate with me as I think about some of the complexities of dealing with international basketball and kind of saying, hey, what are the different ways that we're able to bring in Web3 technologies to sort of emerge it into the game and that live broadcasting kind of opportunity of, of interacting with it feels like such a high leverage spot. So it's definitely... When I heard you guys sort of thinking about that and really exploring it, I hadn't actually thought about it pre you guys exploring it, but now sort of hearing it in hindsight, I'm like, man, there, it might not be at the same level of other international leagues, but that shared time zone, that accessibility for U.S. and Canadian fans, there's, there's a ton of Canadian Jerry's uh, in Krausthaus as well. It's like, there's something interesting about that. But before I derail there, let's hear a little bit more about the, the French opportunity. Yeah, you know, just to touch on that Commodore, right? Like one of my favorite stories to tell people outside of Krause House is the day we all got together and gather, you know, gather town. And we watched a CEBL international competition game in the metaverse. And I think it's important, right? Those live stream rights activated in the metaverse. That became part of our conversation as we had these explorations, right? We think about Krausehouse, you think about the impact we're looking to make in the NBA and how we test that. You know, what we do with rights, like live stream rights, is going to be an important signal that we send to, you know, these larger leagues like the NBA. I believe that. And we can do some things in the metaverse that haven't been tried before. We can do some stuff with NFTs too, which takes me back to PAL, right? 
So let me describe the scenario that we discovered, I think earlier, sooner than we anticipated in France with Ilan Bernays' Power Earth's basketball team. And that was, we identified a private equity group that had recently purchased 72% of the team, Counterpoint Sports Group. And, you know, they're looking at options for monetizing some of that ownership and tokenizing some of that ownership. And they talked to us about participating in what we're still anticipating will be the first security token offering of a professional basketball team ever. It was an opportunity. There's some risk to it, but we took it seriously. And we took a look at the token and that was an important part of the evaluation. But the second part of the evaluation, which really got me excited to be on the podcast today, was in exchange for our investment in the tokens of PAL. You know, what could we do experimentally with streaming rights, with NFT rights, with our community at large, right? And we came up with a structure as part of that proposal that I think is going to last throughout Krause House. Yeah, it's interesting around, I think a lot of the thinking leading up to this has always been, you know, we're going to sort of tokenize or, or you know, essentially the DAO is sort of bringing this idea to the league. The league has to figure that out. The team has to step into it. So it's interesting to potentially work with with an ownership group that is is thinking in that way and sort of on that journey. And then what are the things to accelerate? What is the assessment of the the you know? I, I think there's a lot of compelling angles from the the ownership group and how we might structure a thing and you know, legal engineering and an operational engineering. Like all the things that go into these are are very complicated. It's probably it's probably an understatement of how complicated they can be, as we know. What is like the the reputation of the basketball league, the players? Like like, is there a American minimums or sorry maximums? Like, what is the the assessment of the basketball that that league and that team puts out? Well, you know, one of the things that really you know got us excited about this particular league it's you know it's one of eight leagues in Europe that you know they get two automatic bids to the Euro League championships which outside of the NBA championships is the second most competitive basketball in the world. So Spain is in there, Turkey's in there, and you've got France, right? That gets uh, two automatic bids for their two top teams. So because of those automatic bids, you get the top players in the world wanting to play in this league. In France in particular, they're having a bit of a renaissance. And that is Tony Parker has gone back to France and he owns a team in this league. And, you know, this group that we were working with, they're in partnership with Rick Pitino and Jamal Mashburn, and they're operating the POW team, right? So the quality of the basketball is good, but not only is the quality of the basketball good, the quality of the management of the teams in the league is really strong also. The salary caps are higher. I don't have at the top of my mind what the cap was, but you know, it's possible to make a couple million dollars as a player on one of these teams. That's super cool. So you touched a little bit about some of the benefits of going with a team like that. And obviously the names that you mentioned are are very prestigious in just the world of of, of basketball. In our case, if we were to buy in either with with tokens or do something with their NFTs, like 
what was the major selling point or what was the major value proposition for Krauss wanting to get involved? Like what, what could Krauss bring to the table to maybe help improve that team or that opportunity specifically? Yeah. So uh, that's a great question, Flex, because, you know, last time, you know, I was on the podcast, I had this 30 second blip on there where I talked about basketball being a global game and global brand building for basketball that was NBA to the rest of the global community was still a problem that was unsolved. And I think what we learned during our international exploration is that the reverse is also true, right? So there's great basketball happening outside of the United States in some of these leagues, but awareness of this game and how it's being played overseas, it's still an unsolved problem. Right. Most of us don't know how good Villa Urban is or how good Paris basketball is. There's a player in this French league. I'm going to mess up his name. I'll just call him Victor. He's going to be the number one draft pick, probably not in this year's draft, but next year's draft. He's playing for Tony Parker's team over in France. And it's sort of like a LeBron situation where he's not in the NBA yet, but, you know, it's a level of talent that American fans might be interested in seeing as he evolves into, you know, this NBA player, not a LeBron body, but more of a Kevin Durant body on this kid, but, but still an elite talent, one of the top players in the world outside of the United States playing pro ball already, you know? So I think that's the opportunity. The opportunity is, you know, is to expose this basketball, you know, to fans in the United States. And I think Krauss is in a position to help with that type of exposure and to do it in a really web three, you know, decentralized way. Love it. And you mentioned a unique model or structure. Like, do you want to do you want to go into the details of that or do you want to not go into the details of that and, and have people kind of read about that in, the, in, in more detail later? Yeah, I'm not going to trip any security laws today, <laughs> but I'm going to talk. I'm going to try to talk a little high level about the deal that we looked at and some of the challenges, right? So, what we looked at was helping this private equity group get off the ground with the security token offering by being a whitelisted early investor in the token. So it's kind of like an interesting bridge between two worlds because this is a security token. It's not like we're getting whitelisted for an NFT here. This is a security and a real asset with a balance sheet and a profit loss statement, right? So you're talking about KYC, you know, I learned a new term and that was KYB, know your business. I think everybody knows what KYC is, but the know your business regulation was something that was new to me that I learned about as part of this exploration. And the question was, how do we structure ourselves as a anonymous community of basketball super fans, right? And owners, you know, we're all responsible owners as part of the Krause House DAO, but we're anonymous. How do we structure ourselves to transact in this KYC, KYB world, right? So. That was the first problem that we were trying to solve in evaluating this deal and also how to value the token. It's never been done before. The second problem we we're trying to solve as part of evaluating this deal is what do we get in exchange? 
what do we get to do? Like, what can we do with this asset? Right. And, you know, this is where, you know, we started to reach into the rest of the Dow, the DSO team, the merchandising team met with all those guys and shout out to those teams, tried to figure out how their committees and initiatives could grow from this particular opportunity. It's actually fascinating, just switching gears a little bit. I love that you brought up pulling together, pulling together other teams within the Krauss house and kind of still remaining that, still remaining with the ethos of decentralization. So I guess from a, from a process standpoint, how was that? How was that pulling in guidance or getting second opinions from these seemingly disparate teams that you might not even have known who they were before reaching out to them? Yeah, you know what? It's kind of cliche flex, but I learned one of the most important lessons in being a member of a DAO, and that is decision-making is hard and collaboration is hard, right? So how do you piece together even what our ask is, right? Like at a high level, I think we know what we want to do as part of an operational entity for a professional basketball team. But when you put that into a proposal and you add monetary value to it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy level of coordination. And then you add in there that, you know, everyone needs to have their say or vote on how we position Krause House, how we position our value and how we get value out of the services that we deliver and opening up our community to an opportunity like this. And it was hard, right? And it was, I think it was the biggest lesson. And I want to package this up a bit because as we go forward internationally, especially in Europe, we see this as the challenge and we have a proposal for how to better attack these types of situations. And that is to get the structure and the decision-making out of the way first to show up at the negotiating table, knowing what we're negotiating for and knowing who we are as an entity. And that's how the sub down conversation started. And I'm going to pause there because you guys are some of the best people I know at describing how and why a sub DAO comes into play within a DAO. Yeah. Maybe they, for the sake of the audience and kind of full Immersion into this topic. Yeah, the general idea with the SubDAO is that it's a group of people that is interested or coordinated around a particular sub thing of, of the of the overall DAO. And the benefit of it is you can really structure entirely new tokenomics. You can structure, you know, things like KYC into it. You can have different levels of of, of governance and, and all these different finance all these different variables you get to kind of fiddle around with. And so one of the mechanisms and trends that we're seeing broadly in DAOs is that you can kind of think about a lot of these, especially social DAOs, as this relatively loose group of people with a general shared mission. And then as you get more specific with a very specific output, you have the opportunity to spit up basically a sub DAO that's often using the branding of the parent DAO. But maybe that legal structure is really like a conservative legal structure as opposed to sort of a, an aggressive or you know progressive legal structure. Maybe that group of people, maybe it's capped to you know 100 people due to a wide variety of different regulations that you might be trying to commit into. So it's this flexibility to have different groups that are a subgroup of the parent group to go do some, some interesting things that are very specific to a situation. So obviously with you guys, and exploring these these European opportunities, 
there certainly is is an opportunity to think about in a subdial model. You know, again, pros and cons with each with each approach. But the last thing I'll say is often you also try to make a mechanism of value between the parent DAO and the sub DAO. It's not always possible, depending on what you're trying to do in this world. But that's also the the general implication of the word sub DAO as, spo- as opposed to spinning out a, a DAO. You got it right. You're still part of the community, but now you're operating with a very focused lens. And in this case, you know where we landed as a community is, you know, we want to explore the opportunity of creating a Kraus House Europe sub DAO, which is pretty straightforward, right? Like it solves the problems, Commodore, that you just walked us through. You know, we can get into a KYC situation or a KYB situation, and we can deliver services, right, to these players or to these clubs as a single entity right and and get through the legal process associated with doing that in the in the eurozone the interesting part is when you start to think about the sub dow right and what's happening globally with basketball because i see this as a global opportunity right the question then becomes capitalization how do you capitalize something like that do you take advantage of this treasury that we've built as kraus house with this single goal in mind of being owners of an NBA basketball team? Or is this a slightly different mission that needs to be capitalized independently? And we're debating this now, but it's worth considering that, you know, there could be, when you think about basketball, this global brand, there could be a, a community people who are big fans of European basketball, which I am, I have been for a long time. As I said, the last time I was on here, I've been involved in digital and international basketball for a long time. And and I think the product in Europe is great. And there could be people in Europe that want to own a piece of that. At the same time, there could be communities of people, expats, fans of European soccer, that might also be fans of European basketball teams from those same cities. And should we capitalize to go after that? It's a big question. Yeah, it's an interesting line in the sand because there's part of me that says like, ah, like, you know, it's going to be tough. And then there's part of me that I, th- I totally buy some of these, these kind of personas, for lack of a better word, that would be hyper interested into it. And one thing I'm going to just share more broadly, I, I don't know exactly how to package this into this conversation, but um, one of the biggest challenges that I know that sort of new products often have when they sort of spin out, right? I think about, you know, like Coca-Cola spinning out Diet Coke or, you know, these these different brands that are trying to do this other but similar-ish product. I thought you were going to say Coke Zero there for a moment. Yeah, sure. Coke Zero, maybe. Yeah, you know, it, it depends on... <laughs> we don't want the Coke Zero brand. <laughs> but one of the things that's so interesting about that is that there's always this decision, right, to make of like, and Coke is a great example of this, is sometimes they spin out and it's, you know, it's Fanta or it's, you know, it's Dr. Pepper. I think Dr. Pepper might be a Pepsi product. I don't remember. But, you know, they, they actually rebrand the whole thing and they go and compete very directly in this other thing. And like, we might do that maybe perhaps in soccer, but maybe not in European basketball, right? So, A, I just think it's interesting as we think about how conglomerates operate with brand and then thinking about that and then spinning out sort of a you know, derivative brand, Diet Coke, Coke Zero, or sort of this new fork, Fanta, Dr. Pepper, that kind of deal. And that was obviously pros and cons to choosing a path like that. 
But I think one of the really interesting things about anytime a product does that, as opposed to just sort of having a, you know, a Coke that has a different color to it or something like that, where maybe the branding is, is very not clear that it's a separate product, but if you know, you know, kind of deal is that the, if the market you're going after is smaller, but your sort of focus into that market is stronger. I think it makes a lot of sense, right? And so you mentioned this comment about the capital piece. It's like, it would be really interesting to potentially put forth, you know, an NFT sale of some kind or however the right structure is to capitalize in some form to go after an ownership position. And the dollar amount that like the broader world may bring into that might be lower. Perhaps it's a lot higher. We obviously don't know. But that focus I think actually gives you potentially sort of a better opportunity at quote unquote winning the market. And so there's something that really resonates with me when I think about it from the lens of this, you know, again, this conglomerate type approach from the traditional business world. And then the web three piece, I'm like, you know, still digesting of like how to think about that. But I just, I just wanted to share some thoughts and some analogies that I'm sensing and just see how they, how they hit with both of you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a question for the basketball community at large, right? Especially fans of the global game. So fans of European basketball, fans of Asian basketball, fans of basketball in places like Canada and Australia. And the question is, you know, are we one big basketball family? And if we are one big basketball family, you know, is there an opportunity here to elevate, you know, the way the game is been exposed, you know, outside of the United States. So, you know, go out there and, you know, you know, where are these players coming from? I'm going to do a quick Google search here the next time I pause and, and, and get the exact number, the percentage of players who are coming from, you know, international countries into the NBA. We all know the numbers going up, but as that number goes up, you know, there's an opportunity to highlight the places and the game you know, as it's being played where these players are coming from, right? And if that's an important objective for the basketball community, then maybe they want to own a part of that. And Commodore, the way I think about this is, you know, you use Coke, but I like to think about Pepsi. And I like to think about, you know, before Pepsi bought vitamin water, you know, in 50 Cent, and those guys were out there selling vitamin water, and it was, a, it was a niche market and you weren't sure that it was going to ever elevate itself, you know, to the level of Pepsi before Pepsi bought it. And the people who got in on the ground floor of vitamin water, when that thing sold for a billion dollars, you know, those were the happiest investors. So the way I think about it is, it's ownership in an international opportunity or a Europe opportunity, right? Is that the vitamin water situation? Is that the situation where, you know, you're starting from a smaller base, something that's a little bit less recognized globally, and you're growing with this great product? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a fair counter analogy. Uh, Flex, go ahead, man. Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I, I like that framing because what's interesting about the little bit of research I've done across a variety of sports in a variety of leagues around the world is that the returns for some of these, or how fast some of these assets grow quite vary. And they're actually pretty impressive for some of these middle tier leagues or even some of these top tiers. You know, we typically think of the valuations for 
NFL teams or NBA teams, rightfully so, because those are the ones that make the Forbes list and they're pretty much, they're highly transparent and they're in our face. But after doing a little bit of digging, I, I really like the vitamin water analogy because there's a lot of opportunity for those. And to your point, those are the ones that are going to be more likely to experiment some, with something like this and, and lean into these these different crypto or Web3 initiatives. And so those two things together kind of mirror everything going on in Web3 with the, with the nice blend of progressivism and capitalism, right? At the end of the day, we are owning an asset that hopefully we'll appreciate. But at the same time, we get to kind of have decisions and say and collaboration that could potentially add a lot of value back to these franchises. And so when I think about that, it sounds like these overseas opportunities are the nicest blend. Now, whether they're the best opportunities, I'm not sure, but they do present something very interesting to our general model and framework and what we would like to go do long-term. Yeah, that could be the rocket ship, right? That's how I think about it. That team in Powell or a team in Paris or a team in Madrid or a team in London, or like one of my favorite examples, team in Manchester, right? Like where basketball is a second citizen to Man City football or soccer or, you know, Manchester United, you know, what could we do with something like that? That could be a rocket ship. And I think it's interesting and something that is Crosshouse, we need to take a look at, right? You know, forming a sub DAO. You know, it would be a big step to go after this opportunity. But the second part of it, I think, is also really important. And that is, how do we package that opportunity and capitalize ourselves to go after it properly? And if we find a rocket ship in one of these leagues, in one of these cities, I think that's the lesson that we bring back to the DAO without the risk of depleting, you know, the Krause House treasury. Absolutely. Well, let's, I want to kind of do two things. One is kind of start to wrap the conversation. I know we, we kind of have some time and be like kudos again to you and the team for just doing an awesome job of everything we talked about in the beginning. I won't repeat it all, but it's just such an exciting example. I think you guys have put together an incredible report. You found some incredible opportunities and now we're sort of in that, that phase of which ones, you know, do we want to go after and how do we want to pursue it and prioritize. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges with, with Dallas broadly is this idea of prioritization. And Flex and I have, have discussed at length on this podcast around the pros and cons of thinking about traditional prioritization lenses versus these Web3 ones. And I'd love the sub-DAO approach potentially kind of slides that back into the Web3 of saying like, well, all these opportunities on the table is, is a good thing. Let's let's see how we move forward it. But before we end, like, what do you want the audience or Jerry's to sort of like, what should they be contemplate? Like, what is, you know, if we came back in one week and said, all right, we need to make a decision on, on that X or what are the values or principles you want to think about? What would you ask folks to think about here? There's a lot of basketball being played around the world. And I think as a group of enthusiastic owners, right, we're all owners in Krause House. And we're all looking to be owners of this opportunity to own a professional basketball franchise. It's a huge opportunity. And I think what I want to leave the community with is, you know, how do we compartmentalize? How do we go after all of these opportunities and stay connected at the same time? I think we're at that place is Krause House where 
you know, we know what the hub is. We know what the hub looks like. We've got this really talented community of developers and marketers and social media management people. And we've got some of the best Web3 people in the world of basketball. That's the hub. Now we need to start looking at the spokes. And I think Europe is one spoke and it's, you know, how do we go after these folks? Yeah, quick antidote before we wrapped up. It's it's crazy. Clive, I think I remember back to our first conversation. I remember kind of, as I did with most people, kind of brushing up from a high level how decentralization it just kind of operates because it's vastly different than anything that we've seen before. Anybody coming that hasn't been in a DAO, which is the vast, vast majority of us, it's a little bit of a, it takes a little bit of massaging and even a little bit of rewiring the brain to kind of fully function. And now with what you guys are doing, I would say you were you from from just by doing and, and, and actually executing on this, you're probably one of the best DAO kind of operators and, and thinkers that, that I've talked as far as how to run kind of this your own team, do it autonomously and just the right amount of communication and collaboration to keep people involved. So shout out to you, man. I think I think by default, that probably makes you and DAOs are not a big market. So that might make you one of the best in the world, to be honest. He's so the vitamin water it. leading. <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say. So yeah, man, again, echo what Commodore said earlier, hats off to you and the incredible team too. And I appreciate you shouting them all out because I know they're they're working hard as well. Yeah, you know, as always, guys, wag bat. I did look up the number. It's uh, 22%. Let's call it a 22. It's 21.8% of the players who are currently in the NBA are um, internationals. So, you know, it's 22% of the league. So, you know. That's a market bat. right there. Yeah. Wag bat. All right, Clyde. Well, thanks again. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm not ruling out you being on, uh, coming back on for, for a third time, but we appreciate you joining us, uh, special recording on a weekend. So we're all kind of, we got some, we got some plans coming up, but, but totally appreciate it. And can't wait to have you back. Thanks guys.